but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Oh Lord, we come to you in the name of our Savior. He is the one who has given us standing before you. Um, even he has made us blameless and pure and holy in your sight. And so we come in him, and we come again, God, needing you. Um, we've had all kinds of different weeks, some up, some down. Some of us are completely focused on our sin and failure Others are completely focused on the circumstances that we're in. Others of us have just lost lost sight of you in the busyness of the week. And so we ask now, oh God, by your Holy Spirit, would you turn our attention to you, to the Lord Jesus? Um, Would you allow us, Jesus, to behold you? We need to be changed by you. We, We don't need to stay the same. Our hearts need to be affected by you. So please come and please speak to us. And Lord, you know, again, I need your help. My heart is just as impure as it has been these last three services. I am just as, just weak, futile, unfit to proclaim the true word of the holy God. And so I pray that you would work through me, by your mercy, that you would build up your body. And I'm reminded that you want to build your body up more than any of us want that to happen. You want to give grace to us more than we even want to receive it. Um, So I pray that that grace would come to us today uh, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. There should be a Bible in front of you in the chair. We'd love for you guys to, to follow along with us if you don't have a Bible. Also, want you to be reading along with us as we go, and next week, there is a huge chunk of text, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, all the way through chapter 8, verse 4. So, read ahead for next week. Over the last few weeks, we have been in this series called Witnesses, going through the book of Acts. And we're calling it Witnesses because we're watching how these first Christians witnessed to the Lord Jesus Christ But we're also learning how we ought to live our lives as witnesses to Jesus. And what we've seen over the last few weeks is this. There are attacks coming on this church from the outside, and there are attacks coming on this church from the inside. And what started with 120 people is now only a few months later, roughly 20,000 people. The church is rapidly growing. In the passage that we're going to look at today... Some commentators would say, this is another attack on the church. But I'm not so sure that what we see today is another attack. I think it's just growing pains, right? Natural challenges that come with rapid growth. 
But, but a challenge nonetheless and something that this church is going to have to work through if it wants to continue to be effective witnesses. Now, because our church is also growing by the grace of God, um, not nearly at the rate that the early church was growing, but because we're experiencing some similar things, I think we'll find this, this passage highly practical. Okay, Just simple, direct, very practical, and we're going to see some growing pains here that we're experiencing and that we need to work through if we want to be effective witnesses. So that's where we're going. But before we go there, I want to tell you about me in the eighth grade. I know some of you guys are like, yes, I've always wanted to know about you in the eighth grade. <laughs> no, you don't. Not even my wife cares about that. But I'm going to tell you anyway. I was a late bloomer. I was. I was a late bloomer, and it stunk. Everybody was getting taller when I was in the eighth grade, and I was just staying the same height. And I wanted to grow so bad. And never more than one faithful January night in 1999, me and a good buddy went to the Duke NC State basketball, basketball game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And his dad got us front row seats at Cameron Indoor. Now, for those of you who are, have still not been sanctified to the point that you love basketball, let me tell you about Cameron Indoor Stadium. It is the best venue for sports maybe in the entire world, definitely in college basketball. The, the students surround the court on the lower level, and they are known for being the wildest, craziest, most educated fans in all of sports, okay? <laughs> Truly, and you will, you will see this in just a second. So we go, and we are basically the only two guys in the whole crowd going for NC State. So you can imagine when Duke is shooting free throws, and it's dead silent in this pretty small building, me and my buddy are just yelling these eighth-grade insults at the Duke players. <laughs> well, NC State stunk at basketball, and Duke was very good. It's kind of like it's always been. And so it didn't take long for the Duke fans to turn their attention from the game to us. And before we knew it, we are just going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Cameron Crazies. <laughs> Until we get midway through the second half. And they throw the knockout punch. The fans across the court look at me with fingers pointed. And they start chanting, prepubescent. <laughs> I was down for the count. I was out. Right? As an eighth grader, I wanted nothing more than to grow. But here's, here's what I didn't get. When I finally started to grow, and it wasn't much, it was a little bit more than Fowler, thank God. But <laughs> when, when I finally started to grow, I realized that growing had some challenges of its own. Right? There's raging hormones, and there's shin splints, and there's acne on the forehead, which unfortunately I still hadn't gotten rid of. Um, that's true. And you can laugh at me. It's sad. Growth is a natural thing, it's a good thing, it's a healthy thing, but with growth comes challenges. And the same is true in the church. It's healthy for the church to grow. It's good for the church to grow. But with growth comes growing pains. And so today we're going to focus in on a couple of these growing pains, growing pains that the early church is going to have to work through if they want to be effective witnesses. 
So we're going to see what those growing pains are, and then we're going to see how they work through them and hopefully apply that to our situation. So again, very practical, very simple. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And again, friends, what an honor to have the Word of God in our laps. Let's not forget how awesome it is that we get to be addressed by the Word of God. Two billion have no access. So Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, doesn't take long for us to identify this first growing pain. In verse 1, we're introduced to these two different groups. We've got the Hellenists, and we've got the Hebrews. Okay, the Hellenists were the minority. They made up about 10 to 20 percent of the the population, and they were heavily influenced by Greek thought and culture. As a result, they didn't worship the same way that the Hebrews did. They, they didn't put as much priority on temple worship. They weren't as strictly obedient to the law. And, and there had been some tension between these groups for a long time. It's kind of like Charismatics, Presbyterians. This is what we got going on here. It preceded Jesus, but sadly, what we're seeing is this tension sort of trickles into the new community of believers. So you got this underlying tension. And here's what brought it to the surface. Because in the, in the Roman Empire, there's no welfare system, families were responsible for taking care of families. So if a husband or a dad died, this made women and children extraordinarily vulnerable. So here's what the early church did. They took it upon themselves to provide every day for those who are in need. And early on, they did a great job of this. Right? They were really successful. In, in chapter 4, Luke tells us that they, there was not a needy person among them. So while the church was smaller, they were doing really good. But as the church continued to, to grow, you guys can imagine how difficult this was becoming to manage. Right? This is a logistical nightmare. And this is a group with hardly any administrative organization. And so it was becoming almost impossible to take care of the growing number of widows. And here's how it all came to a head. These Hellenistic widows started to feel slighted. They started to feel overlooked. It, it, it kind of seemed like every morning when the Hebrews woke up, there was Wonder Bread on their door, but when they went out to their front porch, empty. And when you think of the complexity of this, you've got a number of major issues. This is a minority issue. It's a race issue. It's a social issue. And so this is a major challenge for the early church. But here's what we got to note. There's nothing in the text that makes this seem intentional. In fact, by the way the apostles handle it, everything points to the reality that it's unintentional. 
But nevertheless, this was the real experience of the Hellenists. They were being unintentionally neglected. Combination of rapid growth and no administration. This was a major challenge for them. Okay, a serious growing pain that they were going to have to work through if they wanted to be effective witnesses. But it's a challenge from two different perspectives. Okay, so I want to first look at this challenge from the people's perspective, and then we'll look at the challenge from the apostles' perspective. From the people's perspective, growing pain number one is, like you see on the screen, unintentional neglect. Unintentional neglect. As a community of disciples grew, they became more susceptible to overlooking people in the body. Okay, and this is a growing pain for any people in any church that's experiencing growth. And let me just own right up front, guys, speaking on behalf of CBC, I feel like our voice is cracking a little bit here. I feel like there has been some unintentional neglect among us. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you had a child or you had some sort of emergency situation and nobody came by to bring food or offer to mow your lawn. Or, or maybe you had a marriage that was struggling. Maybe you lost a job and nobody came around to help. Nobody came to pray for you. Um, maybe some of you guys have experienced tragedy. And for a while, the body rallied around you, but it, now it just seems like everybody's kind of moved on and you're still stuck. Or maybe you just feel underappreciated. Maybe you are a mom with young kids, and we have not told you often enough how difficult and honorable your work is. Or maybe you come here week after week, and you just feel like you go under the radar or unnoticed. There was a time in this church when everybody knew everybody, right? When everybody knew what was going on, when if there was a need, it was going to be met. But now we're at four services. We hardly know anybody on Sunday morning. And you can see how there is, sadly, it's easier to unintentionally neglect people. And if that has happened to you, on behalf of the elders, on behalf of the staff, I want to apologize. If you have not been cared for, if you have felt unloved, we're sorry. Um, and the primary reason that we're sorry is because we have misrepresented the Savior. Because, friends, we have a Savior who never overlooks anybody. He always takes note of everyone that belongs to him. And so where we have failed to do that, we have failed to represent him, and we apologize. We don't want that to be the norm here. We want you to know that we are aware of it, and we are working on it. We want to improve here. But while we're in this point, let me also say this. As our church is growing, and as more people are coming through these doors on the weekends, we want people to have healthy expectations, biblical expectations of the local church. We want you to know what we are going to provide, how we are going to serve you. I think a lot of times people come into the church with false expectations, and when those expectations aren't met, they can be upset or disoriented. So here's what not to expect. Don't expect CBC to be a mall food court. We're not going to come in and have a ministry for everything, anything that you might like, whatever your taste is. Okay? We're not going to try to be you two in the worship band. Okay? We're not going to do smoke. We're not going to do lights. 
we want to worship, not perform. Um, we're, we're not going to have the magic kingdom for the kids. We want to do our best to teach them about Jesus, and we've got a few okay rooms <laughs> to do it in. Okay, Hopefully one day there will be more. Um, we don't want CBC to be a social club for you to come and network and make business deals. It's not what we want. And we don't, we don't want to have the best building in town. Um, we are thankful to God that he has used this little structure for his own glory. And all we want is the new building to be the exact same thing. Just a place where we can meet to worship God. And we don't want our preaching to entertain. Here's what we want to be as a church. We want to be the body of Christ in Savannah. A group of people who worship the one true God, who prioritize the word of God, and who do our best to love and serve and care for each other so that we might be witnesses in this city. We want to do that. We don't really want to do much more than that. And so if, if you're looking for a need other than that to be met, I can just promise you, we're going to let you down. Okay? And, and kindly, this might not be the best place for you if you're looking for something other than that. But if you're here, and you want to be equipped to know and follow the one true God, and if you want that for your family, then we are going to do our best to serve you in that way. We are going to work very, very hard to do that. But if you have been neglected in any way, we, we own it, we apologize, it has been unintentional, um, and we hope that you will give us grace. Before we talk about how we can correct it, though, we need to look at this growing pain from the apostles' perspective. Because it was a huge, huge issue from the people's perspective, but it's also a huge issue from the apostles' perspective. So here, here's how serious it was to them. They gather the entire church together. Look with me at verse 2. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. Okay, we're, we're talking rallying 20,000 people. That's how serious these guys were taking this growing pain. People were hungry. People needed to be fed. But the apostles couldn't be the people who met that need. Look at what they say at the end of the verse. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. As the early church grew, the needs of believers grew. And as the need of believers grew, there was a growing chance that the apostles would get distracted from what they had specifically been called to. And for us, guys, as our church grows, this is a major temptation. Growing pain number two for us, and especially for our leadership, is the temptation of distraction. Distraction. Let me tell you how this happens. Regularly, people will come to us with great ideas. And they'll say, hey, we need, a, we need a single small group. And we need a church softball team to build community. And are we doing anything to feed the homeless in town? And man, we need to build clean, waters, clean water wells in Africa. And we should take a, a trip there. And what are we doing to fight sex slavery? Right? All these things that are very real needs. They are good things. There needs to be ministries for these things. But when people come with those needs, here's what they're often saying. They're often like I do with my wife. And let me tell you what I do with my wife. When someone does something nice for us, I say, baby, we should write them a thank you note. <laughs> and do and you know what I mean by that? I mean, Victoria, 
please write them a thank you note. And so when needs come to the church, oftentimes the assumption is, hey, we should do this. Why don't you do it? But friend, if we take on every good idea, if we embrace every good thing, we're going to get distracted from what God has specifically called us to. Okay, let me illustrate it. Um, 1946, a guy named Truett Cathy started a little restaurant called the Dwarf Grill. Okay, it's called the Dwarf House now. And they sell burgers and dogs and sandwiches and all kinds of different things. And I imagine it was pretty good. But a number of years later, the same guy sets his mind that he wants to perfect one thing. He wants to specialize in the boneless chicken sandwich. And you know what the result was? Chick-fil-A. Praise, praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Okay. He understood that he could do lots of things okay, or he could do one thing great. And the apostles got this, okay? They understood that yes to one thing meant no to something else. So here's what they concluded. Even though these widows needed to be fed, it wasn't right. It wasn't appropriate that they should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Dishing out Panera every morning would distract them from what God had specifically called them to do, which was bear witness to the historical death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, to make disciples of all nations. They had to stick to that task. Now, I think most of us get this, right? We've got 24 hours in a day. We've got limited energy. We've got a small relational capacity. And we can do okay at a bunch of things, or we can excel in one or two areas. Right? It's the same whether it's at work or at home or in the church. And some of you guys are probably going crazy because you're trying to do a million different things or you're doing things that you hadn't been called to do. As our church grows, we want to make sure we don't get distracted by urgent things or by the, the newest fad. We want to stay just resiliently on task. And for our leadership, here's what that means. We want to equip passionate followers of Christ who love and impact their homes and their communities and the world. That's what we want to do, which is just a rephrasing of we want to make disciples of all nations. We can't get distracted from that. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that the growing needs of a growing church don't need to be met. They definitely need to be met. They absolutely need to be met. But here's what we need to ask now. How do we stay on task and meet people's real, practical, legitimate needs? How do we work through these growing pains? The solution, okay? Back in verse 2. We don't even have to move past verse 2 to see the first step the apostles take. Let's read it again. The 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Here's what we see. When the apostles became aware of this complaint, they acknowledged it. They dealt with it. They addressed it. And if, I know this is simple. This is, I told you this is a practical sermon. This is biggie on the eye chart. But if we want to overcome our growing pains as a church, the first thing we need to do is honestly deal with our issues. We've got to honestly deal with issues. So in, this, in these first two verses... We have a very clear example of how to handle an issue. Okay? In one case, we see what not to do. In the other case, we see how we ought to handle an issue. From the Hellenists, we see what not to do. Okay? 
little phrase in verse 1, Luke writes that a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Okay, the word for, for complaint is defined as grumbling in secret. It's the same word that we see in the Greek Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness and they were grumbling, right, against Moses and against God. And so here's the idea. These Hellenists, instead of coming to the, to the apostles with their complaint, they quietly started grumbling among one another until enough of them were grumbling that the complaint got to the leadership. Okay, this is what not to do. On the other hand, we see the example of the apostles, and they model for us how this ought to be handled. As soon as the complaint reached their ears, they take the lead in pursuing reconciliation. Right? They get everybody together. They had not intentionally hurt anyone, but they took the lead in doing their best to honestly deal with the issue. And Man, great leadership. For any of us who are in leadership, this has encouraged me this week, because these guys could have easily been like, some leadership, and just pretended that the issue didn't even exist. Okay? It's what some people do. Or they could have thought they were above it and said, no, 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 we're not going to concern our time with that. We're too important. They didn't either. Right? Because they had a Savior who loves and values people's physical and spiritual needs, they addressed the issue. They honestly dealt with it. Let's pause here to examine our hearts. When somebody lets you down, or we, when you feel slighted or overlooked, how do you normally handle that? What about when it's brought to, to your attention that you've let somebody else down? How do you normally walk through that? Are you a grumbler or a complainer? Or are you like these guys who pursue reconciliation? And, and friends, let's not forget our Lord, okay? I mean, we can talk practical, but let's take a minute to gaze at him. Thank God the Lord Jesus pursued reconciliation with us. He was the offended party, okay? We had offended him, but he came down to us to pursue reconciliation with us when we did not at all deserve it. The apostles were simply doing what they'd seen modeled from their Lord. And so as there's conflict in our body, as there are issues in our body, let's imitate the Savior by pursuing reconciliation, by honestly dealing with issues. And I think it's important to understand this too. Issues happen in church, right? It's normal. I think a lot of people have this like misconception that in the church nothing should ever go wrong. It's interesting to me that the most common New Testament image for the people of God, for the church, is the family. More than any other image, this image of family is used. So think about family for a minute. Some of you have had tough family experiences. Some of you had great family experiences. Even in the most ideal family experience, there are issues. I mean, guys, I've got a wife who is much, much better than I deserve. But do you know who is probably offended me more than anyone else in my entire life? My wife. Do you know who has hurt her probably more than anyone else? Me. I love her more than anyone else, but we have issues, right? And when we have issues, we got to work through them. We got to address them. We got to honestly deal with them. And if the church is a family, we're going to have issues in the church. We're going to bump up against each other's edges, and that's okay. 
right? God wants to sanctify us. He wants to shape us. He wants to conform us into his own image. When those things happen, we don't need to be jaded. We don't need to run from them. We need to understand that this is part of God's plan to grow us up into his image, and we need to honestly deal with it and walk through it. That's, that's how we grow. So the first step we need to take if we're going to work through growing pains and become more effective witnesses is we need to honestly deal with our issues. Back to the text for our second step, verses 3 through 6. The apostles solved this problem of people being unintentionally neglected and of getting distracted from their task with one simple solution. Here we go. Verse 3 says, Therefore, brothers, they speak to the entire crowd, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we'll appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, so here's the plan. Because it is very significant that no one gets overlooked, and because it is very significant that these guys don't get sidetracked from their task, we see for the first time in the book of Acts this basic structure and new qualified leaders start to surface. This is how they plan to manage the needs of the growing church. And, you know, a lot of people think, man, structure and being people-oriented, like Bill talked about, those two things repel each other. But what we're seeing here is th those two things actually serve each other, right? When there are appropriate structures and, and when responsibility is delegated, we can actually get to the point where we can engage with people and be people-oriented. So their instruction was this, find seven guys, guys with a good reputation, guys filled with the Spirit, and guys who are wise. They weren't concerned about talent, they were concerned about character. And these guys would be given the duty to serve the church by taking care of the daily distribution. Now, let me show you something else here in verse 5. This pleased everybody. What they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Okay, they set these guys before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, the average PE major like me would not pick up on this. So this is straight from the commentators. I am crediting them. Um, I'm not a very smart guy. Um, almost all of these guys had Greek names. And so here's what the apostles were doing in their wisdom. They identified Hellenistic men who were close to the issue, who understood the problem, who would then take the lead in making sure these Hellenistic widows didn't go neglected. Brilliant. Now, some of you guys have the spiritual gift of spotting holes in things, of finding fault in things that are going on. And you know what? Truly, we love having holes punched in things that we're doing because we want to improve. We want to do better. We want to serve you guys more effectively. But if you have the spiritual gift of fault finding, then there may be a good chance that you are the one who needs to fix the problem that you're identifying especially in a church of our size. So keep that in mind as you voice your concerns. Um, and this solution that these guys came up with has pleased everybody. Okay? Basic structure and responsibility delegation. It made a, um, made a way for needs to be met and for the leaders to stay on task with what God had called them to do. Right? And this is the next thing for us. If our church wants to make it through growing pains, if we want to be more effective witnesses, We've got to establish basic structures and delegate responsibility. We need to continue to establish basic structures and delegate responsibility. Now, big point right here. 
we've got to understand that the delegation of responsibility does not mean elitism. Here's what I mean. This word ministry, called to the ministry of, of the word, ministry of prayer, it's just translated as service. So here's what we've got. We've got the apostles who are called to serve the church in a very specific way by the ministry of the word and prayer. We've got these other guys, these seven, who are called to serve the church in a very specific way by meeting physical needs. Both are called to serve the church. And let me say this, guys. If you are a follower of Jesus, maybe only below the reality that you have been born into the family of God, your primary identity, my primary identity, is that of, of a servant. We follow a Savior who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so no matter where you are, no matter what your gift is, we are all called to be servants. Some are called to serve in one way. Others are called to serve in another way. And when these structures and when this responsibility are put in place, it, it frees us up to do what God has called us to do, each of us. And it provides environments for our needs to be met. Let, let me take those one by one real quick. First, this frees us up to serve in the ways that God has called us to serve. And let me say this, guys. This is especially helpful for us as pastors because we believe that from the word of God, our primary task is to serve you guys through preaching and teaching, to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. Um, and, and so here's our thought. Our thought is that the Sunday morning sermon is the most important event in the life of our church each week. And let me tell you why we think that, okay? Coming from the scriptures. As the word of God is preached, people come to know the Lord Jesus, right? Romans chapter 10, verse 14 says, how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, it pleased God, and it continues to please God, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe, God loves to say, save people through the preached word. Okay, but it's not just that people would come to faith in Jesus. All right? The body is also built up as the word is preached and applied to their lives. Jesus himself says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in Romans chapter 15, verse 25, Paul says that the body is strengthened through the gospel and through the preaching of Jesus Christ. And so here's our conclusion, guys. As, as men who have literally been called to be your servants, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 make this very clear. It's all we are. We are servants. This is how we should think of ourselves. This is how you should think of us. The best way that we can serve you guys is by working very, very hard at preaching and teaching. By spending 25 hours a week prepping this, by spending time on top of that in prayer so that we might help explain the word of God, which has the power of life and death, and might point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That to us is the best way that we can serve you guys. And basic structures and the delegation of responsibility help us to do that. And, and let me say this. Thank you that you guys care about that. That is awesome. We I'm happy. We love that we have a church that loves the Word of God. We love that. 
And we do not want that to change. We do not want programs to ever become more important than that or anything else that anyone else might prioritize. We want the Word of God to be central. You guys care about that. Thank you for caring about that. Please help us keep this a priority. Please pray for us that this would remain a priority, that we would be effective witnesses in this city. So the first thing that these structures do is they allow us to serve in the way we've been called to serve. The second thing that they do um, is they create environments for our needs to be met. And so as we start to draw to a close, I want to get real practical for a minute, okay? I want to lift up the hood on what we're doing and show you why we've structured things the way that we've structured them at our church. Um, hopefully that you'll see that there's, there's a purpose there. Um, in Acts chapter 6, here's what we see forming. We see a prototype of how the church would begin to function in the first century. You got these apostles who are taking the lead and caring for and protecting and feeding the church, and then you got these seven who are called to meet these specific physical needs of the church. And then later in the first century, what, what we see developed is this elder deacon structure where they're essentially called to the same things on a local level. Um, and Guys, we believe that the church should still function under this basic structure, that elders should lead and feed and protect the church, that deacons should carry out these basic and necessary um, meeting many physical needs in the church, and that's what we've done. We have eight elders who lead the church. We have a staff who carries out the vision and direction of those elders, and then we have deacons who basically hold the whole thing together. Um, and, And let me say this. You said, William, elders are called to care for the church. We've got eight guys. How do eight guys care for a thousand people? It's a great question. When I read the book of Acts, you know a question I ask? How did 12 guys care for 20,000 people? And here's what we find. These 20,000 people were meeting regularly from house to house. They were meeting from house to house in these smaller groups where they did life together and they loved each other and they prayed for each other and they carried each other's burdens and they met each other's needs, which is exactly why we prioritize community groups so much. We're getting it straight from the book of Acts. This is also why we need more community groups right? and would love for some of you guys to come next week to that training. Um, Community groups for us are the primary place where growth and care and relationships are going to happen. By far the primary place. Now, that being said, we know that community groups can't meet every need, and we know that everybody can't be in a community group. We know seasons of life, schedules, it's impossible for some of you guys. Even though dream world, everybody would be involved. So here's what we got for those of you who can't be in a community group or for needs that go above and beyond a community group. There's a care team that provides meals for people going through tough times or in kind of emergencies. There's a benevolence team for our members who have financial questions or in a financial bind, need some sort of help or counseling. And if, if a community group can't meet spiritual or pastoral needs, our elder and pastor staff is eager to step into serving that way. So we, we've got this basic structure that is simple, what we think is biblical. And then on top of these, we've got these other avenues like student ministry, college ministry, 49ers, men's and women's groups, service teams that exist for us to connect with each other and for us to be equipped as followers of Jesus. We've done everything very purposefully with the intention that if we would all jump into this structure, we could be much more people-oriented. 
And when needs come, needs can be met. And, and so an encouragement to you guys, if, if you're kind of a Sunday morning attender and your involvement in our church doesn't go much beyond that, we would strongly encourage you guys to jump in. We, we feel like you're missing out on what God has created the body of Christ to be. All these images in the New Testament tell us how we should function. A movie theater is not one of them. Okay? We're to be a, a family and a body. And so we want you to jump in to that, that your needs might be met. So when basic structure and delegated responsibility come, it's best for everybody. It prevents people from being unintentionally overlooked, and it allows our leadership to remain devoted to the word of God and to prayer. Um, and y'all, as we do this, and as we honestly deal with issues, um, I think we'll make it through the growing pains that we're facing and become more effective witnesses. It's exactly what happened here. Last verse, we'll close it up. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Gospel spread. Disciples multiplied. Even a bunch of these priests start coming uh, to the faith. As soon as these guys made it through these growing pains by doing these simple things, the church hit another growth spurt. And y'all, so bad, this is what we want to see in Savannah, right? We want the word of God to increase here. We want disciples to multiply here. And we want CBC, this group of people, not this little building or 69th Street, this group of people, we want to be a part of it. We want to be right in the middle of being witnesses for King Jesus and God advancing his kingdom through us. But here's what we know. Unless God moves by his spirit, that just doesn't happen. We can't conjure up, enough, conjure up enough willpower to be effective witnesses on our own. And here's the reality, the sad reality, but the true reality. No matter how hard CBC tries, we're going to let you down. And sometimes we're going to unintentionally neglect people as much as we don't want to. And sometimes we're going to be distracted from the task that we've been given. But friends, thank God that we have a Savior who has never overlooked any of his own. Thank God that we have a Savior who is never distracted from his task. Instead, he set his face to go to Jerusalem where he might bear the full judgment of God on our behalf so that God would not overlook us, but that he would overlook our sins. We have been called to bear witness to that Savior. I pray that we would do it well. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be what you've called us to be. We want to do what you've called us to do. We want to serve in the ways that you've called us to serve. We need your help to do that. On our own, uh, we're inadequate. On our own, we get distracted on our own. We don't always honestly deal with issues. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you would grow us up in you, that you would grow us in grace, that you would sanctify us and make this body what you want us to be so that we might be more effective witnesses. We exist for your glory. We exist for your fame. We don't exist for ourselves or for our own needs. We exist for you. And so help us to meet needs that we might better witness to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, yeah, stand and worship with us.